in a world filled with intergalactic space battles. Metahuman destruction on a global scale. And psychopathic serial hauntings. There's only one team who can make sense of it all. When your world is overrun with rampant pop culture, call Luminary Guardians of Geek. Oh yeah, we're back. This is already our second our second episode of season five. This we is are on fire. We're, we we're firing yeah. on all cylinders right now. It's incredible. We're just like like rolling them out like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. This is fantastic. But this is a good one. This is an important one. This is this is our traditional to kick off to the Halloween season to the spooky yeah. season. It is October. Yeah. Yeah, it is October, and it wouldn't be October on Loop and Larry Guardians of Geek without our very spe- without a very special guest. And the very special guest that we have every year is uh, writer director David Weiner, who is going to be talking about his brand new part three of In Search of Darkness, which we've talked about several times before, and we're just could not be more excited about. about I'm super that. excited, and the thing is, uh, during October, traditionally in the last like three or four years, anyways, I've been watching 31 films. Uh, horror films throughout and quite often i'll go to his other docs to, to for ideas and inspiration for some of the 80s films that i maybe haven't seen so we're yeah. super excited to have him here today he's waiting right now he's in the waiting what we call the waiting room the loop and larry waiting room yeah. right now it's not, it's and, not uh, green like normal it's, it's just a waiting room <laughs> no let's bring him on right now he's waiting there listening to his gab so let's let's put him on right now here's david david welcome back this is this is a big this Woo! is a big a big time for us because we know that the haunting season has begun when <laughs> famed documentarian David Weiner appears on our program. That's you. That's you. But before we go too far into it, I need to we have a little presentation to make because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but this is your fifth appearance on Loop and Larry. And five times as, as such. We have to send you oh an actual <laughs> Loop and Larry, an official Loop and Larry certificate of outstanding participation. Wow! <laughs> let me let me oh read to you. Oh my gosh! Certificate of outstanding participation proudly presented to David Weiner for achieving an unprecedented fifth appearance on Loop and Larry Guardians of Geek. <laughs> Woo! All we this need is a jacket now. <laughs> yep, exactly. So this will be coming to you, so oh, you can God. mount it. In a, in a place of pride in your home. <laughs> you guys uh, have gone too far. That's you guys, I'm touched. I'm absolutely touched. That, that's oh. such a, no one has done that for me before. Well, and, I mean, and maybe no one will ever since, but it's, it's quite the honor. Well, I mean, it means it means a lot to us that you're on the show and that you have these incredible stories to tell us and to share with the people who who listen to us and watch us on YouTube because, I mean, you've gone to places that we've only dreamed of going. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, and, and you've experienced stories and the, and the people who made them. And those are the people that we grew up, you know, admiring and, and watching. So, you know, for you to be on our show and to tell us these things and to share what you've done is just, it's just an amazing experience for all of us. I mean, it's, it's great. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's always a pleasure just hanging out with you guys through the ones and zeros. And, and you guys have gone to some incredible places too, incredible locations and places as well. I've seen, I've seen your, your con adventures just by oh, yeah. about the wrath of con, but uh, 
you know, you guys really go all out with some of your photo ops and just, you know, you get to, you, you are guardian, guardianing the geek. Uh, <laughs> we, really we, take our, we take our moniker pretty seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, you use it as a shield and an excuse to be the overgrown children that we all are. Yeah, and, that's true. And, and that's I get true. to live, I and everyone who uh, watches and follows you guys gets to live vicariously through your exploits as well. So keep it up. You know, it's good stuff. Well, thank you. And, and speaking of exploits, let's just jump right in. So you're here today because part three of this unbelievably extensive look into 80s horror is about to drop. And I don't even know where to start. <laughs> well, it, it's, already, it's already dropped. It's like it's now's the, now's the time. You know, right, strike right. I use hot. And we can get into that. But you know, I, I am here because In Search of Darkness 3 is finally here, and I'm, I'm happy to crow about it, and I know you guys got a, a taste of, of, of some of it that you got to see, so, you know, ask away. Well, I mean, the, the first thing that, that Loop and I both want to say is we did, we did, we got a, a, a sneak preview of, of this uh, part three of, of the doc, and it was not enough. <laughs> um, if, if, if there's ever been a teaser that has tried to tease this this teased more than any teaser I've <laughs> ever watched we literally uh, we saw about 20 24 minutes of this of this doc uh and we were we were so sad that it was done it was it literally we were like that, that wait wait where's the rest it is a tease isn't it right it, is, it yeah. really is it is so exciting to revisit a number of things. It's it's exciting to re revisit the format that you that you've chosen to present this in because it's so fun. Um, it's so exciting to like have you know a, a movie that you hadn't thought about in years pop up and all of a sudden the stars talk about it. There's that, and then there's just the nostalgia of the whole thing and and just a look and the feel and and the clips from from movies past. It's just a package of nostalgia. It's so fantastic. <laughs> so when you when you went into this one, like because you've done two others that are you know, two, three hours, four hours long or whichever they were. Um, what what did you feel like going into this was missing in this one? What 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 didn't you achieve in the first two that you said, we've got to get on this. We've got we've got to hit these marks. It's a good question in terms of the approach, because this was not like I didn't get to it in part one and part two. So I could finally get it into part three. That was obviously a whole element in terms of making this film after doing four and a half hours for In Search of Darkness one, four and a half hours for In Search of Darkness two. I get to do five hours and change for the longest In Search of Darkness <laughs> ever. And that is wholly, wholly, uh, 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 encouraged by everyone who loves these movies saying more 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 longer 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 as much as you can um <laughs> but i don't feel like even though this is like the the cap to the trilogy uh i don't feel like i finally got what i needed to get in in this final installment because there's just so, so much more uh content that i'll ever be able to cover adequately um in, in 80s horror there were so many films whether they were theatrical drive-ins uh, straight to video, shot on video, um, play acted in your backyard. There, there were so there were so many uh, amazing films that came out that um, uh, In Search of Darkness. I'm completely rounding out the numbers, but you know, in addition to the chapters, we go year by year, 1980 to 1989, where we cover a number of films in each year. Collectively, between part one and part two, uh, don't hold me to this but i think it's like 150 160 movies wow 
Uh, we're doing 79 more for this one, but there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies, probably capping a thousand and more uh, that came out during this era. Much of it is lost and hard to find and hard to come by, especially now that all these mom and pop video stores are gone, not to mention blockbusters. So doing part three, uh, all I wanted to do was uh, tackle a lot of, you know, pretty much everything that's the content of this film is is dictated by backers and fans who said this is what i want so okay. it was practically the easiest film to do because all of the material in here was like well you tell me what do you want and i just have to pick from the big giant pile and see what sticks and see who we could get to talk about it and see what clips we can get and you know if the film is even you know we could track it down or not uh but ultimately uh, this is the ultimate smorgasbord, and it's like the walk through the dusty shelves of the horror section of the video store, and it's all those titles that's been that have been staring at you, like Extro and Blood Beach, saying "Rent me, rent me, rent me, talk about me, talk about me," and you're like, "Oh, I will, I will," but I, I see the new Robin Williams movies out, so let me see if I want to see that first. Oh, it's there's not a copy of that there, so let's go get it. Anyway, that's that's sort of the gist of what this is. This is like the ultimate. Uh, when your family went to the video store and they went to their different sections and you got to play in the horror aisle, this is you like making your curated mental list of all the things that you want to get around to that are ridiculous and wild and outrageous and bloody and gory and sexy and fun. And that's what's in this movie. And we talk all about it. Well, always what are your memories of, of going to like the video store? Like, because I mean, to me, it, that's a big part of my life as a kid and it, you don't, I mean, flipping through on demand on, on like, you know, digital is not the same thing as going there. It was an experience. It was a night out to go get, a, get movies. Like what was your, what are some of your memories as a kid, the renting movies? Well, it's kind of funny because we, I, I will preface all of this by saying, we look back at this, I think our generation and, and the generation right after us, we look back at this fondly, like it's something that we loved at the time. Uh, and I'm speaking for myself now. Now, I, I, I loved the, the thrill of the hunt, but did I really want to spend lots of time at the video store? No, it was the convenience because that's where I had to go, you know? It's not like the library where you could like, you know, there are little study carols where you could watch movies and stay there, you know? Yeah. You went in, you found it. Ideally, you were able to get it. Uh, if it was a questionable title, you also had to find the other titles that went on the top and the bottom when you went to go get it and saying, well, maybe if they see Never Ending Story, you know, and Bambi, they won't notice I got Cannibal Holocaust as well, you know? <laughs> I totally yeah. used to do that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you stack all the, the questionable ones in the middle. So they're yeah. they go through them. They're like, okay, here's this. Oh, da, 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 da. Especially <laughs> when you were all, you know, when you were 18 and older and you were allowed to go to that special back room, you know, sometimes <laughs> If you wanted a, a, a variety of uh, entertainment for your weekend, you know, you still had to selectively place them uh, to avoid uh, embarrassment. But that that's, when, that's when the return slot became very handy. When you could just like <laughs> drive like a slider right in there and leave. It's like, who was that? I don't know who that was. I just dropped that off. <laughs> but I, I actually worked at a, at a video store. I, I was a video store clerk. We had, uh, in, when I, our family moved to Chicago and, in my neighborhood, literally walkable diagonally down the road, 
uh, was a mom and the 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 ultimate tiny mom and pop video store, and it was great because I just had everything at my disposal. Uh, so I I was not Quentin Tarantino, but I understand what he where he was coming from, where you just have a, a, a whole store library there for your for, for the taking, and you can take whatever you want. But um, I just my my very specific memories of video store searches comes ultimately down to uh i knew which stores had the best stuff for the type of things that i wanted yeah you know and 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 i think we all kind of had that you know mental um rolodex of which store carried which types of, of titles and i would go to blockbuster if i wanted the big blockbuster the literal blockbuster title because they'd have plenty of them but usually at the mom and pop stores i didn't i didn't battle uh, and, and maneuver for these top titles. I just, the, I went for the deep cuts. Um, and it was usually the stuff that had, it all comes down to the box art, you know? So you either knew that it came out theatrically and you wanted to get around to it if you didn't see it in the theater or see it again, or very specifically, you're just like, listen, you know, this is speaking to me. This, this is my movie and uh, I want to watch this. And I want to watch this when my parents aren't watching me watch it, so. <laughs> Can I give a shout out to like, sorry, I guess give a shout out to some of the variety stores that sometimes had like some, some good pickings. If you like, you know what I mean? They, they weren't, they weren't the, the big blockbuster stores, but they, sometimes those variety stores, those corner stores had some good movies in there that they just bought for whatever reason. And there was some great horror stuff in there. If you really looked. It's true. These, these movies are uh, when, when you look at in search of darkness, one, two, and now three, and especially three with this very eclectic mix of titles, uh, both international and uh, North American and uh, lots of Canadian stuff. And um, uh, in fact, I'll interrupt my own train of thought here. The Canadian stuff is really cool because a lot of it is really kind of quiet. Like you didn't necessarily know it was Canadian. Like if, if, if it's a Cronenberg film, you, most people are, are obviously dialed into the fact that he's a Canadian filmmaker. But uh, we talked a little bit about In Search of Darkness 3, about the exploitation movement in the late 70s and the early 80s, where, you know, everything from prom night to My Bloody Valentine to, you know, Scanners and The Brood, what have you. But even like The Gate, you know, um, uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare, all these titles are Canadian, very polite. They say A. <laughs> Sorry, that was me. But, you know, it's like it, 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 people don't necessarily know that they're Canadian, but the Canadian government was giving them incentives, tax incentives and so on and so forth to make these films, which really helped the explosion coming out of uh, the Great White North. We uh, we hide our dark side quite nicely with being polite. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's why we're so polite is so you don't catch on that we, we are really twisted inside. <laughs> Just really, below the screen, you're like you're like strangling. Yeah, <laughs> it really came out in the '80s. We've had to dial it back a little bit since then. But um, so the the whole the whole horror genre thing and and video stores it's kind of like a chicken in the chicken in the egg situation because um, most people got into or not most but people I know people like me got into the horror movies through the video stores rather than having seen them in theaters first. So like, you know, I mean, we were of the age where video stores were easier to get into because we were too young to see them in the theaters. But like, I wonder how many people saw these movies in their first run in theaters and then became fans or became fans after they were released to video and got them in the 
do you know what I mean, in these stores? Well, like, well that, that's an age-relevant question, at least specifically because, you know, I, I, I towed the line between both, you know, I was a 70s kid and an 80s teen, and so a lot of the movies, you know, I, re I remember being afraid of Dawn of the Dead, but attracted to it as well, because what, that came out in 74? Am I right there? But Dawn of the Dead was like an early 70s movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was old enough to hear people talking about it, but I wasn't old enough to see it, but there was the mystique around it, you know? So when finally it came, you know, even though it came out theatrically when I was really young, I could finally get around to it at the video store. Um, whereas some of these, you know, I was just getting old enough just to be allowed to do it. My, the first rated R movie I ever got to see uh, legally, I guess, is my dad took me to, uh, it was in 1979, I was 11 years old and it was, uh, Frank Langella as Dracula, John Badham's Dracula, oh, yeah. um, you know, and then after that, it's sort of like uh, I was old enough where it didn't matter if I wasn't seven, you have to be 17 for rated R, you know, otherwise accompanied by a parent. But I remember as a teen, you know, I, I had it, I completely had it down where I would go up to random strangers and say, would you buy my ticket for me? <laughs> And, and sometimes I'd even sweeten the deal and I'd say, I'll buy you popcorn inside, you know? Um, was that important? I, it really I was smooth, I was smooth. Um, and so I remember seeing like American Werewolf in London in the theater and that kind of stuff like that. And so that was huge in, in terms of the types of stuff that um, I made me follow the path of wanting to make my own movies and know more about it. Whereas those, I remember I was too young for Halloween, came out in 78. But I was obsessed with it because everyone was talking about it, and it was it was huge at the box office. You know, uh, I I remember the pocket the 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 tie-in novel for Halloween had a picture of a guy with a jack-o'-lantern pumpkin head and a white sheet with a knife, and so I was convinced that that was a scene from the movie. <laughs> I remember okay. Yeah. Halloween, I, you know, I was scared witless, but I was also slightly disappointed that Michael Myers didn't walk around with a jack-o'-lantern on his head. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, true. I mean, there, there was definitely the allure of, of going to the theater to see these things when they were available, but, but not being able to. I mean, I think it just made it, it was sort of like they were unobtainable, so it made you kind of want to see them even more. I, ha I have a funny little story. When I was, I guess I must have been about 10 or so, when alligator came out do you remember mm -hmm. alligator mm -hmm. so alligator came out and um i was in a theater in cincinnati ohio with my cousin and we went in to see a movie and it was the, the a weird setup for this theater where you showed your ticket at the at the at the door you went behind like through another set of doors where the row of theaters were so you could literally go into any theater you wanted i mean it didn't uh -huh. But my cousin felt like obligated to take me to the proper movie, but I really wanted to see Alligator. And I, so that was, I mean, I guess that was 40 years ago. Um, I hadn't seen Alligator since then, but it had always been on my mind until I just saw that it was streaming on on um, Shutter, I believe. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And yeah. I just watched it uh, about two weeks ago. After 40 <laughs> years of, of wishing that I had seen this thing in the theaters, and that's how you know, it, it, those sorts of moments stick with you is, you know, they were, they were so intriguing and you were so, you know, enthralled by what could be behind that door. Well, that's uh, the thing. It, it's, it's some, it's the mystery of the, of the, uh, the, 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 the uh, forbidden fruit, yeah. uh, you know, and, and a lot of it is also um, the experience that we had seeing the movie versus the movie itself. 
exactly. you know, uh, sneaking into another theater in a multiplex or something like that, or asking someone to get you in there because yeah. it's a rated R film and you were going to be carded. Um, you know, or just going with someone, you know, a, a, a brother, a sister, a cousin, a, a family member, a loved one. This is more about the movie than it's it's more than just the movie. It really is the experience that goes around it. But I think also part of our experience collectively also was the fact that on cable, it was so much easier. You know, I, I, I was unfortunately I did not have cable TV. It, it sucked. Uh, the, I bought when 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 VCRs were finally, you know, affordable. I bought that because I knew my parents weren't going to get it. They're like, you know. They were into smoke signals and games of telephone with the wire, you know. The <laughs> so, you know, and I remember it, it was kind of ironic because as soon as I got that that VCR, you know, the VHS player, uh, all of a sudden my parents were like, oh, let's read on Golden Pond and let's get me on this like, oh, you no. know, you wouldn't be watching any of this stuff because you didn't get cable and now, you know, I've enabled you. But listen, it's fine. I love my parents, but it was just kind of funny. But yeah, you know, the cable TV element was, you know, that's where I saw Humanoids from the Deep for the first time. That's where I saw Friday the 13th for the first time. All these great, great movies, watching them when my parents didn't have any clue that I was watching them. Um, and to this day, my mom's like, you know, David, you're so sweet. How could you make these horror <laughs> documentaries, you know? You know, you must, like, you are, you, are you my child? You didn't get it from me. You must be partially Canadian. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, I lived a double secret life of, you know, getting the, this forbidden fruit and it, it clearly shaped uh, all of us. It's, yeah. Absolutely. But it's the interesting thing is that once they once they hit the video shelves, they weren't quite as forbidden anymore. Like you could you could rent them like you could actually get them. You might have to sneak them into the house a little bit, but it was much easier. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that's where all of this like fascination with these this genre and all of these, you know, the subgenres and the, the hard to find pieces and and you know the small movies really sort of came to fruition is you know when you you didn't have to have a parent with you or a guardian to walk in the store and see the cover art and be able to just sort of walk up and you know and and most mom and pop shops didn't ask for your age even though i think right right they the just wanted to rent yeah they, exactly. they, didn't, they didn't mind if they were corrupting they were just waiting for like to be like called out by your parents up exactly and you know and if you knew how to sneak it in, then they weren't gonna be, they weren't gonna hear anything anyway. Well, there were also people. I mean, I've heard many stories where like they 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 had notes from their parents saying, you, you know, this kid can rent anything he wants because yeah. he's bringing it home to us or whatever, or he's just he has he has permission or she. But it's um, you know, that was like the cover under the cover of night. You know, you can get away. <laughs> right. I was gonna say one thing that I that I discovered when I was making this especially because there's so many eclectic titles in part three. Um, there's a bunch of them where I was just like, I know, I know this title. I've always wanted to see the title. I, I, that, that, that box art is burned into my brain. Why didn't I ever get around to seeing it? And, and it kind of came to me that I was always getting around to it. Like I said, they're waiting on that shelf saying, rent me, rent me, but I'll get to it eventually. But then by the time I sort of focused in on it, guess what? All these video stores disappeared. You yeah. know, something's happened in the last 10, you know, 15, 20, 25 years where it just was not easy to get. I mean, I, my, I have a very distinct fine line of uh, memory where 
I used to go to the video store all the time and then Netflix comes along and the convenience of getting the discs coming to you. And then all of a sudden they're like, surprise, we're just gonna stream it all. And you're like, I don't even know. I don't have the, I don't have the memory in my computer to, to stream it. I, they're like, no, it's not downloading. It's yep. streaming it, it's streaming it. You know, you don't have to download it. Next thing you know, you're like, oh, this is easy. And there's a whole library here. I'll get rid of all my DVDs and Blu-rays because I have an online library on the TV. You know, and then next thing you know, you learn that licensing issues makes things disappear and you yeah. regret selling your own stuff. And it's just been a whole technological evolution that has ultimately been a good thing for instant gratification and access to a lot of titles. But a lot of stuff that didn't make that digital divide and cross over, it's, it's impossible to find, like Blood Beach, you know, being the perfect example, because that only made it as far as VHS. And then it never made DVD or Blu-ray and it's not streaming because the rights are all tied up with whoever owns it. And so we'll never see it. It's very, very hard. This is why physical media is so important to collectors and to our generation, because there's been tons of times, like I went to watch something the other day and it wasn't available. I can't remember what it was, but it was like a horror movie I was watching and it was like, it wasn't available. I own it. I was just too lazy to get up and get it, but it was like, <laughs> it was there, but I'm like- I what? laugh knowingly. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I owned it and I'm like, oh, I'm like, now I'll go grab it. But if I didn't own it, I wouldn't be able to watch it. Like it's everything's not available for streaming. And there's so many services. Like if you paid for every service out there, you'd be paying like more than just having cable. Like it's just so expensive, but they like they're shutter and that's all great, but they, they still need more of these smaller movies that just disappeared. Like, well, just shout, never out, shout out very specifically to Tubi and a lot of these yes. things that are, that, are, that are just going with a commercial model and just making everything free. Yes. Tubi is great because, uh, and I'm not being paid by Tubi to make a mm-hmm. new endorsement. <laughs> celebrity endorsement chosen by the celebrity. Um, <laughs> but but it, it's, you know, they, the commercial interruptions are very few and far between mm-hmm. and sometimes none, it's strange. Yeah. But the selection is intense and great. And actually, when I was making In Search of Darkness Part 3, I often went, because I, if I didn't have it in my own collection, I often went straight to Tubi if I was like, just what was the thing where the guy did that one moment and the guy had, was it a knife or was it a hatchet or was it eaten by a plant? I don't know. Let's go take a look. <laughs> and I would just jump on Tubi and instant gratification, there it was. And so yeah. at least there are some things out there that, that are... Uh, the stuff that we value, they've got plenty of it, which is great. I was gonna say one of the things in the in your docs I love. So you go through you go through year to year, which I love, and uh, often you'll you'll focus on different different things. But the things I love is the themes. And one of the things that I noticed when we saw the screener was that you did one on Satanism, which is like I love these like little themes that you'll jump into that are that sort of take over that whole decade or, or piece of that decade. And I remember as a kid. Um, uh, this is a twofold question. One of them is, what other themes are you do you do in this? But this, the first one is that this is so. Uh, it, it's it even now this is still happening. But as a kid, I remember Satanism became such a big thing. Whether it was listening to Motley Crue or Kiss or or uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons or renting certain movies, like everything was going to influence me and make me like a, a like a killer of some sort That's the some... Thing. It, was, it was they called it the satanic panic for a reason yeah. like everyone and, and it was like... it was a real thing and, and you look back and you're like this is like how were people like like listening to this and listening to certain people and being influenced by it but then i see an article just the other day about someone about hocus pocus 2 
Like it's it's exactly what you're just putting in the dock. It's exactly right? the, the same devil thing. comes through the television. <laughs> yes, like I, I but like, plus <laughs> the tool of the devil. <laughs> but I love I love the I love the themes in your in your in these docs. What what themes can we expect in in these? Uh, yeah, well, I don't want to give away too many, but uh, we de we definitely spend a a good chapter talking about the VHS gold rush that we we've been sort of you know, dancing around talking about today, you know, um, because I think a lot of people, uh, they take that stuff for granted. And uh, I think it, it's important to create a little context as to why there was this explosion, not only of 80s horror films in general, but a lot of shot on video and straight to video stuff. It was, it was a market that became, uh, that exploded and became readily available for Hollywood filmmakers and producers to get their stuff straight to consumers without having to work with Hollywood studios. And, and it was a gold mine because when, you know, video tapes were first coming out, uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, a lot of Hollywood studios didn't want to license their material to put on videotapes because they thought that was giving it away. And so uh, indie producers were, uh, mom and pop, shops and indie producers were filling that void and you get this explosion of content you know good bad and ugly uh it, it's why the shelves were filled so it, it's a pretty cool uh way of looking at things because there's a whole younger generation that knows but maybe doesn't know specifically the monumental seismic change of how we consume media changed with what we're talking about cable and very specifically vhs technology because they don't realize that if we wanted to see something we just had to go in the theater or not you know yeah uh these things would run longer in the theater but it, it, you can either go to the theater or you don't and you're not you're going to miss it the only way you're going to catch it is when it comes on tv if it comes on tv and it's years later and you get very little heads up and you can't record it to watch it when you want or play it on demand when you want. You had to be around for it. And you had to plan your week using the TV guide, marking all the things you wanted to do. I mean, I, 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 it's funny, this is like a goofy aside, but I remember a summer evening playing with friends on the street and we were all having a great time in my little wonderful neighborhood enclave. And I remember, you know, sun was coming down, which meant we were all gonna have to go spread to the four winds to go dinner and stuff like that because we didn't have watches. We just knew it's getting dark. You got to go home and eat. But I remember this one kid bowed out early and, and they're like, wait, what time is it? And they're like, it's eight o'clock, I think. The one kid who had the watch. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go. Like, well, it's not dark yet. Yeah, I got to go watch. Welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> you did. You had to base your entire livelihood around. Right, exactly. Like they didn't want to miss what Vinnie Barbarino was going to say. So it's like, yes. you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there, so the VHS gold rush is something that we, we tackle. Um, I've got a chapter talking about uh, uh, Asian horror and the influence oh, nice. of Asian horror, uh, because we all know how it really exploded in the, in the, you know, with ring, the ring, you know, ringu and that kind of stuff. But before then, in the 80s, there was plenty. We just weren't getting any. Yeah. You know, uh, it was very, very hard to come by, uh, at least in North America, you know, because it was very it was very culturally specific in the way that you can get that stuff. And your average uh, blockbuster and mom and pop store really didn't carry much of that stuff. Uh, it carried a lot of Italian stuff that was starting to come through. But even then, uh, like my, my whole discovery of Italian horror came much later. 
because when Italian horror was finding its way there, it, if your mom and pop store didn't want to carry that stuff because it was too extreme with some of the titles, you didn't have it, you know? Yeah. And, and also in your social circle, if your friends weren't watching it and saying, you got to see this, this is insane for X, Y, and Z reason, you didn't watch it, you know? It was just some weird foreign title that you're like, what is this thing? So um, I, think, I think subtitles stood in the way for us when we were that age too. <laughs> you know, I mean, if it wasn't in English. Or bad dubbing. Or, you know? or yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and it's kind of a funny thing because it's like, it makes no sense because I, I was, I read, we all readily accepted really bad dubbing, dubbing in Japanese Godzilla movies and kaiju 100%. films because yes. that's all we had and that's what they gave you and you, that's the way they were. And yeah. it didn't matter what they were saying. It's just like run from Godzilla. <laughs> you just want to see Godzilla stopping after them, yeah. you know, but it's a different, it's a different dynamic when you have characters and detectives and main characters, you know, in really bad dubbing throughout the entire film. And yeah. it's interesting, but um, I don't want to reveal too many, but yeah, we have fine. chapters in between each year. And so there's plenty to chew on and lots of fun stuff. And we have a really great cast, uh, 50 new interviews, 70 total interviews. We use, <laughs> 20, uh, 20 of our our main uh, uh, players from part one and part two, because I sat down with them for, for uh, you know, sometimes two hours or more, all this great material that just hasn't been mined yet, that is completely yeah. relevant to the conversations that we're having and the movies that we're talking about in part three. And so um, it's a lot of 80s goodness to chew on. Well, and that's and that's part of what's exciting about these documentaries is seeing those celebrities now and having them reminisce about their experiences. Um, you know, I mean, having Robert England, you know, mm -hmm. just in his living room, it looks like, or in a room in his house, just being casual, you know, talking about Freddie and talking about the experiences. It's just so they, they still have so much enthusiasm, it seems, for what they did and so much pride uh, for you know, what, what may at the time have been, you know, overlooked or bombed at the box office, or I'm, I'm thinking specifically uh, just one quick example of um, Witchboard, um, where the director was on and talked about how it ran in the theater for a week and just, just was dusty. I saw that in the theater, that <laughs> one week it came out. That one week. Yeah. I was, I was a big fan of that movie. Came yes. from uh, Bachelor Party. We got to go see this. Yeah. I, I own that movie. I love it. Like, I, and, I, and I'm like, what? I didn't realize it did as bad as it. he said it no. did. Because I'm like, I, I, it influenced me and I always enjoyed it. Like, yeah. But, but what was interesting was that he recognized how poorly it did. Like, it was just ravaged by the, by the critics and it didn't do anything in the, in the box office. But, but looking back, you could see his sense of pride at how it's become a cult classic and how it still has legs. And, you know, he really, he gave something to the world that, that's, still, that's still out there. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of what's so fun about these documentaries is, you know, seeing the people who made them and recognizing that they, they actually left a legacy. You know, they didn't just make something that was tossed aside, you know, because it was garbage and people didn't like it and they forgot. But you're, you're, you're very right there is like, you could see the pride in, in talking about these things because they they wrote them off yeah. at the time you know as you're saying no one's going to care but then they have a second life however many years later i mean curtis armstrong you know who is like our, our like our, our geek avatar you know in the 80s yeah. um just just yesterday or the day before uh, better off dead was trending on twitter and he just jumped on and just said i cannot believe you guys are talking about this so many years later 
and it, and, it, and it fills my heart with pride that there's so much appreciation for this film because uh, it did not do well, you know? And so he was just happy to have people show so much love and support and, and admiration for this movie from so many years ago. Uh, and and he, got, he got emotional to, to a certain extent with how much love was being shown his way. I have to say real quick before I forget, with Witchboard, it's very cool because uh, we sat down with Kath, uh, Kathleen Wilhoit, who plays Zara Beth in Witchboard. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was very cool to sit down and talk with her because just like she is on screen, she's like in real life. You know, <laughs> she's full of energy and just laughs at her own jokes. And you could tell that there was so much joy in, in the experience that she had when she was at her peak in, uh, you know, in the 80s and early 90s doing the movies that she was doing. So she's just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. My husband said, I got to do this, you know, and, and she <laughs> loved talking about it. And uh, her, her, her energy and the celebration of this stuff is infectious and it comes through in, in her yeah. and, I, and I think watching these docs, you're going to get a new generation of people because, you know, our generation is going to watch these docs and, and love the, the memories. But how many of our kids are going to watch it with us and say, that's kind of cool. Like, should we check that out? Let's check that out. You know? And, and, you know, that's where the new life comes from is, you know, the, the kids who might, you know, watch some of these docs with us and say, okay, that was, that was pretty awesome. That the gate, the stuff in the gate was pretty cool. Let's watch that. You yeah. know, it's just, you know, it's but so even at that, I'm sorry, I was gonna say, but even at that, like even us who grew, who lived through this, there's a yep. ton of movies I have never heard of. And I'm like, I'm interested in it now. Yes. And I never saw it back then because yeah. you're presenting stuff that's like, that you, you've gone deep into the, into the cavern of, of movies that we never made, like those ones that you never grabbed. And yeah. there's lots in there that I'm like, I've seen that cover a million times. I never watched it. But now that I see it in the dock, I'm like, now I'm interested in it again. And I, I might slip over to Amazon and maybe purchase it or whatever <laughs> and look it up. Because I, I want, like, it, I've got a brand new renewed interest because of your doc. Yeah. I also, well, I have to say real quick that all, in terms of the collective titles that we cover this time around, there's still lots of theatrical stuff that we just hadn't gotten to yet. So, you know, Prom Night, you know, Serpent in the Rainbow, Monkey yes. Shines, you know, Jaws the Revenge, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's just like, you know. It's like alligator, you know. Well, it's like Jaws, but, yes. but it, you know, it's like a subgenre of, of you know, when nature attacks. You know, I really wanted to put slugs in there, but I couldn't. I couldn't get a, the full movie in. But there's still a slugs reference at one point. Um, but uh, there, there was just so much amazingness there. But I, I was going to say also, as we were just talking about this, you know, we covered Reanimator in, in Search of Darkness Part One. But I had not seen that for decades. Like I've always said, Reanimator is a great film. Reanimator is a great film. I love Reanimator. But I had not seen it for decades. And uh, when I was doing In Search of Darkness Part One, and I popped it back in, saying, "Well, I'm going to be talking to Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Combs." Of course, I have to, you know, bone up, do my homework. And I was shocked. I was like, I clutched my pearls. I could not believe how revolutionary that film was because it's badass. It's a punk rock yeah. movie in terms of saying, oh, you thought we were going to go there? No, we're going to go there with all this stuff. And it's just outrageous, but all in good fun and completely entertaining and, and balancing shock value versus good natured. This is just entertainment. Uh, and it's just, it's like a magical combination for that particular film. And so many of these movies that we now put a shine a spotlight on in part three are 
uh, a lot better and a lot weirder and a lot more fun and a lot more uh, uh, approachable, everything, whether it's from the production value uh, or just the story, it's not the bottom of the barrel this time around. There's just so many great stories that we still have yet to tell. And I think part of part of the, watching these docs, the way you put them together, is to see these clips of these moments that are so over the top, because that was sort of what 80s horror movie was all about, was being over the top. And seeing these clips back to back to back, just it, it, it's like it's like the most over the top thing you could ever imagine <laughs> watching this doc because you know individually these movies were over the top but when you see them all put together and that like the the most outrageous parts of each one of them i'm thinking like terror vision you mm -hmm. know i mean seeing that combined with you know the, the all these other movies and you're just like that just, you had no idea at the time how over the top and how big scale these things were um with the budgets that they had to work with we you know, didn't know how good we had it. It's true. No, no. That's that's exactly the point. And then you watch these docs, and you're like, like it was a gold mine, <laughs> and it still is. Like they're they're still there. They're still we can still watch these things. That's that's what's so amazing about this. It's also interesting to look at the trends, you know, because filmmakers follow other filmmakers and they see what they want to see in their own films. And they're you know, so the obvious ones are like. Uh, um, you know, American World from London and, and the howling and the thing and everyone wants change your head effects in their movie, you know, and then you end up getting like TV shows like Manimal, but that's a, yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, it's kind of cool where you look at um, uh, uh, international filmmakers looking at what the American filmmakers are doing, you know, and you could draw obviously a straight line from American Werewolf to Michael Jackson's Thriller. Michael yeah. Jackson saw Rick Baker's effects and 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 what uh, John Landis did with American World from London. He said, "I want to make a video that's pretty much American World from London, but you know, with zombies and and I get to be you know uh, uh, a werewolf." Uh, and then you have a filmmaker like uh, Mexican filmmaker Ruben Galindo Jr. who sees the Thriller video and his dad's like, "You should make a movie like that, like Thriller, you know, where you have all these zombies breaking out in in you know in a graveyard. We could do that with our budget." And he's just like, "That's a great idea." <laughs> it's cool to have Ruben Galindo Jr. who put out Cemetery of Terror, uh, Grave Robbers, and uh, Don't Panic. You know, he has some real gems in the 80s. And I thought, how cool would it be if we can go to Mexico City and talk to him and, and put a spotlight on some Mexican filmmaking as well? It's it really is like a family tree. You could you could draw a, like create a family tree linking, you know, the music industry with the movie industry, with the TV industry. And it all comes back to this one point. And yeah. you really there is a connection you know, between all of these different things. And, you know, I think that's what your docs do so well is is show us those connections you know because i would never have put together you know the the mexican cinema with with you know as 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 um being inspired by thriller but right, when, right. You see, when you see them side by side you're like oh my gosh this is literally <laughs> like a remake of thriller <laughs> and unabashedly too yes. just, we saw thriller we thought we could do that and we'll make a movie around it you know yeah. i love that <laughs> that was just so much fun <laughs> Um, so okay, so now you've you've made your you've made the the trilogy, you've made the trilogy. What what? So now that you can look back on all three of them, what were the absolute highlights for you? The absolute highlights were twofold. Uh, I got to sit down with so many of my of my heroes. 
Um, and uh, I didn't do all the interviews. You know, uh, this time there was a lot of heavy lifting done by uh, Rocco Thompson, who was uh, our, one of our producers uh, on, on the show, because I was finishing up In Search of Tomorrow, and we needed to get this into production. And so, you know, uh, under my uh, watchful eye, I was like, you're great, you could do this. And he, he knocked it out of the park and he got some great interviews. Um, but for me, I walk away thinking about all the people. I, and Robin Block did a lot of interviews as well in the first, you know, collectively. I, I don't, I don't want to take credit for all these interviews. But what we do is, if anything, we have a formula where we are sitting down for an extended period of time with a wide variety of questions and a huge net in discussions, not only of the, their own projects, but about 80s horror with a huge list of saying, have you seen this? What are your thoughts on this? film, filmmaker, what have you. And then you got to put it all together at the end. That being said, um, I've gotten to sit down, you know, talking about Robert Englund, you know, at his home. I mean, I said, he sat down with me for three hours uh, to, to talk with him. And he, 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 he spins the ultimate descriptive yarn. Um, and, and you sometimes you're just pinching yourself saying, I'm here with Robert effing Englund. <laughs> <laughs> who wants to be here with me and is hoping I won't say I got to go because he wants to tell some long stories, you know? I mean, this like, come on, that's that's just, that's um, bucket list material. But I think looking back collectively at the three films and, and what I've sort of walked away from is uh, something I touched on earlier is that um, it's not about these movies. You know, these movies have inspired us and these movies are great or terrible or somewhere in between. But I've learned that it doesn't matter that it, what, how well they did in the box office, how critically acclaimed they are. Uh, it's about uh, why do people love them? You know, uh, what did they have? Uh, what was their influence on the zeitgeist, either individually or collectively? And, and, and just the recognizing that these are important to me and to you guys and to everyone who watched them because they had that moment where someone walked in and said, I've got faces of death, block the doors, we're gonna watch it, you know, it's a bootleg copy, you know, that humanoids of the deep moment, you know, where I was, I was transfixed, you know. Um, these, these are transformative, uh, indelible memories in all of our lives. And you look back at whether you're thinking about walking through the video store or that secret, you know, screening that you had. Um, it's like it's like a nostalgic, fresh, you know, fresh cut grass or a song, you know, that takes you back. This stuff to us is that important. And it takes us back uh, with an opportunity to relive happy, happy, happy times in our life. And like, if I'm going to be that guy just giggling to myself with a smile in the corner and everyone thinks I'm crazy, I'll take it because that's that's what this has given to me. Yeah. And and it's given it to us, too. I, I, you absolutely nailed it. <laughs> absolutely. And it's totally made me satanic. So that's I love that part of it. That's the best part of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I've noticed that you've got a pentagram carved into your hand. That's yeah, well, that's, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I got to ask a question about this is super important. Now, there's an important website called 80shorrordoc.com. Tell me what we can do on that if I go to that right now. Yes, strike strike while the iron is hot because you're going to regret it later because a lot of times people's perspectives are, well, I'll get it when it's streaming or I'll get it later. Da, da, da. This is all about creating physical media that you could have in your hands and creating a keepsake for yourself. That's why we do it a little differently. We have a very short window. So it's between now 
and Halloween Night at Midnight that you can get your copy of In Search of Darkness Part 3. If you miss Part 1 or Part 2 in terms of getting your hands on that, you could buy the trilogy where it's just buy the trilogy or you could buy Part 1 or Part 2, put it all together. Uh, but you get cool posters and swag and digital download of the movie and the soundtrack. Uh, and other cool things, we have like like a, a membership card this time around, which is oh, fun, nice. which has like merch deals with you know, you know uh, well-known horror merchants and stuff like that. Um, but uh, like I said, it's a keepsake. You know, you could put your name in the end credits, which is a super cool thing, and you can have the pride in saying that you helped create an indie-funded project, get over the line. Uh, and manufactured and, and sent right to your home. And, and one additional thing, which is super cool, is because this is such a community-driven project, like we said earlier in the podcast, how all of this content, it, it, this, this was all chosen by uh, the fans. If you're a backer, if you're a horror fan, if you've been following this project, we, we chose all of our material from the beginning with uh, a fill-in survey and polls and I've been taking copious notes ever since part one. Why didn't you put in this movie? Why didn't you put that movie? When are, are we ever going to get extra? You know, Phil Noble Jr.'s, like I've talked to you about the unseen three times, you better put it in this time around. Otherwise, I'm not coming back for more. No, he didn't say, he didn't say that. Um, but it's, uh, this, all this material is, is all community driven. And so everything in there, even stuff that I wanted or not, I was so happy to say, this is the big pile. Uh, let's do as many of these as we can. And I want to give back to uh, the horror community in some way, shape, or form and ingratiate them one more time, you, me, fans, in this film. And so during the end credits, what I'm doing this time around, and I'm inviting everyone who's listening, including you two, uh, is I, I want everyone to record a, a brief video testimonial where you're looking at the camera and talking about how much you love 80s horror, what it means to you. A, a special film or a filmmaker or even the In Search of Darkness franchise, how it's affected you. Um, if you go to any of our socials on uh, 80s Horror Doc on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, there's always that link tree. Click on that link tree. You'll see right there. It'll say how to do it, how to submit your video testimonial. Very cool. But I want to line the, the end credits with, I can't promise everyone, but I want to do as many as I can in those very long credits uh, lots of people talking about how much they love uh, 80s horror and what it means to them. And uh, I think we'll all connect with that. And I think it'll give purpose as to what we've been doing for the last 14 hours watching these three movies together. That's phenomenal. I, we are, we're, we're in there. We're doing this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> 100%. And you have until Halloween night to do it. So. Perfect. We're, 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 as soon Mark as we log off. boys and girls. <laughs> uh, one last question for you. So you've been doing this for years now. How many years in total have you been working on the, the three, the, the trilogy? In Search of Darkness. Uh, three years ago, yesterday, we premiered In Search of Darkness at Beyond Fest. Uh, and so we'll go back another year before then. So I came on, uh, Robin Block and Creator VC were already ahead of me when I came on to the whole operation, uh, I think in September of 2018. And they had been working you know, earlier than that, putting together all the assets, the amazing poster, the concept, the trailer, the teaser trailer, all that kind of stuff. So four years. So now are you going to face a, a period of withdrawal? 
<laughs> no, I'm going to welcome the sweet embrace of, of sleep. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, I'm still in the middle of it. So maybe it, it'll, it'll affect me differently later. But we have all these other projects going on. I mean, it's not like that's it. That's all, folks. I hope you enjoy. We're, that, you know, yeah. we're, I, I'm currently working on uh, Aliens Expanded, which is yes. uh, a deep dive into James Cameron's Aliens. You know, that's I'm executive producing that. Uh, uh, Ian Nathan is directing that, and it's in capable hands. And I'm excited to be jumping all over that to give it, you know, uh, give fans what they deserve when it comes to a whole brand new fresh look at, at, at dissecting uh, the influence of and the impact of James Cameron's Aliens. Uh, we're looking to In Search of Tomorrow too. I'd like to do that one. We're looking at uh, In Search of Darkness 90s coming up. Oh, wow. um, yeah, you know, that we want to do, we've been talking about doing In Search of Legends, which is 80s fantasy. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of opportunities uh, that, if you guys give us permission to do it by helping us crowdfund and being part of the journey, you know, it's not like, as you guys know, it's not like I just crowd, we crowdfund and then see you later in a year or never uh, to deliver the, the project, you know, mm -hmm. which other uh, it's happened in the past. Right. So um, we like to uh, incorporate everyone in a transparent process the whole year round with all sorts of backer activities and polls and, Help, help us shape these projects so they're literally by fans, for fans, and it's something that you would want to see. You know, at the end of the day, crowdfunding these projects allows us the creative freedom to do what we think is best uh, without uh, uh, executive meddling um, and, and, and having a pulse on what uh, the fans want in terms of the content is what drives all of these projects to uh, do as well as they do, I think. You know, um, you know, we're fans. We love this stuff. You guys are fans and you tell us what you want. We have an agreement. You crowdfund it. We make it. We give it to you at the end. We all tell our friends so more of these could be made. And that's really it because we manufacture and distribute this stuff ourselves in limited batches. And it's all by doing that and all that heavy lifting that we get to continue making more of these, you know. And so uh, will I be missing 80s horror? I might get a little, I might be taking a walk, stop, get lost in thought, get a little bit <laughs> and then keep, and then keep going. But who knows, maybe one day we'll, we'll revisit 80s horror again. I can never say when, but there's so much more that we still have yet to uncover. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we are, and we'll continue to be your biggest cheerleaders because this stuff, <laughs> this stuff is awesome. And we just, we can't get enough. So no matter where you go from here, we will, we will back you. <laughs> you guys, I'm, glad, I'm glad you guys have my back. You know, I think it's great. I mean, I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm so happy that you gave me a plaque. Uh, for <laughs> um, because it, it, it's important for me to talk to you guys because you know what this stuff is all about you know uh, and I and that can't be taken for granted um, I, I really think and I don't want to get all soapboxy about this but it's like I, I believe as we get older the three of us get older sorry I'm, I'm, it's the elephant in the room we're getting older <laughs> as we get older there's a whole generation behind us that looks to us uh, as knowledgeable people who know this stuff. And you don't have to be an expert in the field. You just have to have the experience of saying, I've done this, I've seen this, I love this. 
I'm passionate about it. That makes you a curator and an expert. Uh, and it's important to do, you know, YouTube and podcasts and whatever, so, you know, platform you use. You know, Guardian, Guardians of Geek is an important uh, statement, uh, helping invite people into so many different facets of the genre that we love. And uh, you guys are you guys are doing uh, the right kind of thing because it's fun for you, right? Yeah. Right? At the end of the day, we might have jobs that suck or not, but at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're spending our time doing stuff that we think is important because it gives us satisfaction. And it's completely in our wheelhouse and it's effortless. And all we have to do is talk about it and, and share it. And so, you know, keep up the good fight. We, uh, we hope to see you back again with, with several more projects. Thank you so much, guys. Happy spooky season. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so how cool was that? Once it, again. It just, it never, I, I never get tired of talking to David. Like these docs are so part of what we grew up with and how we lived. And it, just to see them again and to hear his stories, it's just, I could, we could do this for hours and hours and hours. And, and I, I've said it before, but if you're a fan of horror or even sci-fi or whatever, these docs are so important. Like I, like just the, the retroness of them, the looking back, the, the ideas for new movies you haven't seen before. It's, it's just, it's all there. And it's, it, it sounds like, you know, four hours. I can't believe this, but no, four hours flies by when you're watching these. It really does. Like when the, the um, In Search of Tomorrow, the sci-fi, his sci-fi doc, we, mm-hmm. we had an episode on that too, is five hours long. And like like you said, it, it sounds daunting, but I literally sat for five hours. Like I after yeah. every hour, I thought, okay, I'll just take a break. No, I'll just watch one more. And literally five hours passed and I, I wasn't done. Like when it was finished, I was ready for more. It's the, That's the quality of these things. Like you really have to experience it. You've never seen a documentary that's this well paced and has this much nostalgia and it's just it's they're just awesome (laughs) it's almost like i i liken it to like a history lesson like it's it's something that i I like it almost should be like in the smithsonian institute or something like like when you look it's like i want to go about 80s horror like it just it's so comprehensive and i think that's what's so cool about it it's just it covers so much and i'm really looking forward to this third one Oh yeah, it's based on the 24 minutes that we that we got to look at. That this thing is going to be amazing. It should, like you said, it should be taught in schools. It should be part of like film school curriculum. These dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I really think so. It's They're totally fun. cool. Well, thanks once again, everybody, for uh, watching and uh, listening to the show. Uh, again, go on our socials. We'll be posting uh, actually information about this doc. Uh, so that you can order it yourself and trust me jump on this your name in the credits alone is cool enough but you've got to own this and get all three of them and i remember this there's a slip cover on this oh i meant to mention that with yeah i meant to mention that when we were with david cool that is that there's an actual slip cover so you can put all three dvds or blu-rays into the slip cover yeah like like a box set like i'm so excited i don't know why that's exciting to me but knowing for for us that's it's very exciting to have this box set and uh, so cool. <laughs> it, it's totally I like get on it right now and get these because honestly, this is these movies are so good and you'll watch them again and again. Like They're, they're just incredible. So thank you so much for watching. Uh, Loop and Larry Guardians of Geek. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Produced by Matthew C. Loop and Lawrence Simner. A Loop and Larry production. Bueller. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Bueller. Bad news. Fog is getting thicker. And Leon's getting larger. Inconceivable. Brian's right. It's an elf. Wow.
Relax, hon. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Oh, Captain, my Captain. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Wax off.